Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Trust you had a wonderful Christmas week. We want to welcome you back to Grace Crossing Church. For those that may be joining us here for the first time or you're a newcomer to Grace Crossing, we want to welcome you especially. In the seat pocket in front of you, there's a connection card. If you'll take that card and complete it and drop it in one of our giving boxes or out at our connection center after our service this morning, we would love to just become aware that you're here and that you've joined us and give us a chance to be able to appropriately welcome you to Grace Crossing Church. Well, before we uh, transition into our final message here on Tis the Season, let me just mention a couple of things. Uh, First of all, next uh, week on Monday, January the 7th, we're going to have our first one prayer of the new year. And um, I want to encourage you to come and be a part of it with us. Um, we had our, a couple of weeks ago, we gathered with all of our, kind of our senior leadership, our, our board, our staff, our elder team, and we had 22 of us at a Christmas dinner, and we were just talking about all of the things that God had done in our lives in this past year, and what God had done in our lives here at Grace Crossing Church. And I think three or four different people alluded to the first one prayer that we had in 2018, because the first one prayer, we did what we called one word. We came and we prayed that God would give us a word that would not only define our year, but would also direct us, that we could really focus on and concentrate on. Um, And so when I began to hear that, I'd already planned to do the one word again in 2019. It was very affirming. And I just want to encourage you, if you weren't with us in 2018 for the one prayer, come and join us, the first one prayer of 2019, and let's come together And let God download a word into our hearts and into our spirits for this new year ahead, what God wants to do in our lives. It's going to be a really special time. Uh, We trust that you'll come and gather with us. Well, This morning we conclude a series, but next weekend we begin a brand new series. Back by popular demand, we're beginning a new series next weekend called God at the Box Office. Okay, any fans of God at the Box Office here this morning? All right, so next week we begin a five-week series entitled God at the Box Office. We're going to be taking some of the big movie hits of 2018, and we're going to be finding the God theme and the God message uh, in those particular movies. So we trust that you'll make plans to join us as we launch a brand new year next weekend. So how did you do this holiday season? How did you do um, making it an emotionally healthy holiday? How did you do slowing down the pace of your life in order to carve out some sacred space for God? How did you do making room for the celebration to actually bring Christ and give him honor in his own celebration? How did you do? Uh, this holiday season? How did you do like Mary, treasuring the wonder of Christmas and pondering the purpose of Christ's birth? Well, I trust that you did well. And I trust that your stress level this holiday proved that you did well. Because it takes time, it takes effort for us to be able to remain emotionally healthy especially during the chaos and the crazy of the holidays. Now, this morning, we are concluding this series that we began on November the 18th, and we've journeyed through several major holidays in this series. In case um, 
you forgot there are two more that we actually are going to have this week. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. So in just a few hours, 2018 is going to come to an end. Can you believe it? This year is going to be over. And some of you are really sad to see it go because it's been a it's been a wonderful year for you and you've just enjoyed just about every minute of this year and you actually hate to see this year come to a close. Others of you, you are delighted to say goodbye to this year because it's been a particularly difficult year for you. It's been a challenging year and you're really happy to see this year end and a new year begin. Well, whatever camp you find yourself in this morning, I've got news for you. It's going to happen, right? 2018 is going to end. We're going to start a brand new year in just a few short hours, and it's inevitable. And when we think about holy days, we often don't put New Year's Day and New Year's Eve into the mix. But I would propose to you that we ought to. And here's the reason why. I think these two holidays this week, more than any other holiday, these holidays teach us and model and show us the cyclical nature of life. Actually, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day are a microcosmic view of life. I want you to think about it. Everything in life, with the exception of God, Everything in life has a point of origin, a point of beginning, a genesis. And everything in life that we know has a finality, a point of ending, a closure, a conclusion. Everything. Life on this earth begins with an initial inhale. And it ends we hope years later, with a final exhale. That's how life on this earth ends. And our final exhale exhale here on this earth is actually the first inhale in eternity. So life is cyclical. Life is filled with beginnings and it's filled with endings. And nothing models and shows us that any better in the holidays than New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And I think there is a holiness that we can bring into these holidays because they remind us so much of life. Life is filled with endings and filled with beginnings. In fact, there can be no new beginning without necessary endings. It takes necessary endings to actually enjoy new beginnings. Those two are inseparable. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about necessary endings that actually produce new beginnings. And I think that necessary endings come particularly in two varieties. They come in limits and they come in losses. Limits and losses. Here's the big idea this morning. To keep the holy in your holidays and to keep the holy in your life You must embrace your limits and grieve your losses. For us to remain a spiritually vibrant person and an emotionally whole and healthy person, we must learn to embrace our limits 
And we must learn to grieve and let go emotionally of our losses. Now, I come to this message today with two convictions. Here's the first conviction. This January is not going to be the same as last January. 365 days have made an impact on your life. For better or for worse, you are not the same person coming into this January that you were coming into last January. The circumstances of your life have changed. And those circumstances of your life have changed who you are. For the positive or for the negative. We hope for the positive. Because none of us here can control every circumstance of our life. But what we can control is how we respond to them, how we react to them, and what they do to shape the person that we are. I can tell you I am not the same person 365 days later that I was this past January. And you are not either. And here's the second conviction I bring into this message this morning. You are not going to particularly like the things that we're going to talk about today. Because nobody likes to think about limits, and nobody likes to think about losses. They're just not popular topics. And so I have a hunch that very few of you are sitting on the edge of your seat right now saying, I'm really excited to learn everything I can about limits and everything I can about losses. Let me tell you what I told my kids when they were younger, and they were sick. I said to them, this medicine is not going to taste very good but it is good for you. Trust me. It may taste bad, but it's good for you. So when we come to this topic of necessary endings and new beginnings, you may not particularly like everything and every dose that I'm about to spoon up to you today. But here's what I can tell you. If you want to enjoy a healthy and a prosperous new year, which we wish everybody to enjoy every year, don't we? But if you really want it to be a prosperous and healthy new year, then I encourage you to take a large dose of what I'm offering to you today because it's good for you. Trust me. So let's begin with limits. Let's begin with talking about limits, and let me begin by providing you a definition. Limits are God's gift of grace designed to keep us dependent on him. Limits are God's gift of grace designed to keep us dependent on him. Limits also teach us how to be dependent on others. Limits are things that contain us. They are things that build boundaries in our life. They are things that put guardrails up, whether we like them or not, whether they are intended or unintended, chosen by design or by default. Limits have a way of containing us, and life is filled with them. If you're here this morning and you're unemployed, it's a limit. But if you are employed or self-employed, it's also a limit, isn't it? There is only so much you're able to do in your own freedom when you're working. And when you're self-employed, it carries its own level of limits. Poverty is a limit, but so is wealth. 
Just ask the richest person you know what life is like, and they'll tell you many times it's one of the loneliest lives that you live because it's really hard to trust people. It's really hard to move into real deep relationship with people. Yes, poverty is an incredible limit, but so is wealth. Your family of origin is a limit. Your family of origin has put certain things biologically in your mapping that are just inside of who you are. And those things many times leak out of us in our life and we must come to terms and come face to face with the limits that are created because of our family of origin. Their limits. Your marital status here today is a limit. If you are single, it creates certain limits. But if you're married, it creates limits. Right, guys? I mean, every one of us know what it's like to have limits placed on us. So perhaps that's why the Bible says at one place, it is good for you to remain as you are, to remain single. But another place it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and receives God's favor. Why? Because each of them carry their own unique limits. Your age and your health create limits. As I get older, my mind tells me I can do certain things, but my body reminds me of my age. And my health actually keeps me from doing certain things, prevents me from doing things I would love to do, but my health is telling me it's probably not a good decision to do that. Creates limits. You see, life is filled with limits. You have them in your life whether or not you acknowledge them. And if Christmas teaches us anything, Christmas actually teaches us that life is filled with limits. The incarnation is perhaps one of the greatest illustrations of limits that we've ever known. I want you to think about it. God leaves the glory and the light of heaven and comes to a sin-darkened world. It's a limit. The Son of God becomes an embryo. That's a limit. And then is carried for nine months and is born to a virgin woman who's living in relative poverty. That's a limit. Jesus is born as an ethnic minority in a Roman majority culture, limit. He's born into oppression and in subjugation to a government that hates them, limit. Jesus as a child has to grow up and mature just like every other child, that's a limit. Jesus has to uh, surrender himself to education and to learning the Jewish way of life. He had to grow and learn obedience from the things he suffers. That's a limit. The first six years of Jesus' life, he actually is displaced from his home and he lives as a refugee in Egypt. That's a limit. In every single way, God becomes man. 
And God models for us that life is filled with limits. Now, I don't know about you, but I have lived the lion's share of my life hating limits, resenting them. You see, I see limits as an affront to my life, an affront to my leadership, an affront to the way that I want to live my life. But God, in his word, gives us another picture, an alternate view of limits. The Bible gives us this view that limits are a gift of God's grace. A gift in disguise, but a gift nonetheless. So the next time that you are tempted to complain about what you don't have or to complain about what you can't do, let me just give you three ideas I want you to remind yourself of when it comes to the gift of God's grace in limits. Here's the first one. Limits are tests. When we have a limit, we are being tested. It's interesting, when you follow the narrative of Jesus' life, he actually begins his public ministry at the age of 30 by being baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And while he is still dripping, his clothing is still dripping, coming out of the River Jordan, here's what the Bible says happens in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Do you notice the limits that Jesus begins his public ministry with? Temptation, isolation, hunger. Those are all limits. And Jesus is led there to be tested in his limits. How will you do with living with limits as a son of man? The second thing I want you to know about limits is that limits are invitations. They are invitations. There's actually another word the Bible uses for limits. It's another word that I think is almost used interchangeably in Scripture for limits. It's the word weakness. I can tell you this, every weakness is a limit and every limit is a weakness. And so Paul the Apostle gives us incredible insight into how to live within limits as an invitation to God's grace. Here's what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, a limit. There were things that he was being prevented from doing. We don't really know exactly what it was. Scholars differ on their opinion of what this messenger was and what this particular thorn in his flesh was. But, but this we know. He didn't like it. Not one bit. He wanted it to go away. He kept praying that God would deliver him from this thorn. And here's what happened. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. It's enough for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You could take that word weakness and replace it with limit. 
God says, my grace is sufficient, is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in limits. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. When was the last time you bragged about your limits? Paul does. And then he says, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and limits, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, when I am limited, in that moment, I find God's strength and God's grace is most alive and present and tangible. I can sense it. I can feel it. I experience it. Think about it. If we never had limits in our life, we would be God. And if we never had limits, we wouldn't need God. But because we have limits and weaknesses, we are dependent on him. So the next time you're tempted to complain about what you don't have or what you can't do or some limit that is placed on your life, I encourage you to see limits as tests, as invitations, and thirdly, as doors of opportunity. Doors of opportunity. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance, whatever the limit. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or whether hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. You see, limits are God's gift of grace designed to keep us dependent on him. They may be gifts in disguise that we often do not see, but trust me, trust me, these are gifts from God's grace designed to keep us fully tethered to him and dependent on him. So necessary endings come in the form of limits often in our life, but they don't only come in the form of limits. Necessary endings also come in the form of losses. Now, Christmas time for me is a time that reminds me of loss. Some of you can actually identify with feeling loss at Christmas time. Every Christmas, I pull a box down from one of the closets in one of our bedrooms, and I open up the box and I pull out a two page letter. It was from my dad. The reason I cherish that letter is because it was the final letter that I ever received from my dad. In fact, it was the only letter, handwritten, that I ever got from my dad. So I pull the box down and I I open up the box and I always pull out the letter. And the first thing I do is I just read his words. I read what he wrote to me. I read how he ends it by saying, I love you. Something I didn't hear from him. 
in that letter, there is something else that makes it special for me. In that letter, my dad keeps a promise to me. It's the only promise he ever made to me and didn't break. It's a promise that I was going to receive a gift from him that actually reminded me of my childhood. And that's something that I cherish to this day. So every Christmas, I pull the contents out of the box and I set it up around my tree and here's the contents of what's in the box. Fully functioning Lionel train set. Actually, we got two of them from the 1940s. My dad was a huge Lionel train collector. So one of my fondest memories growing up as a kid was seeing that around my tree on Christmas morning. The first few years of my life, it's one of the very few memories I have of my dad. And I always remember at Christmas time that Christmas is also about loss. Because when you think about it, Jesus' life actually begins and it ends with loss. And the Bible actually teaches us in Philippians what Jesus actually does. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. This, by the way, is the gospel message in a succinct form. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus, at the incarnation, leaves his place in heaven, comes to our place, and invites us to go to his place. That's the incarnation. Jesus begins his life with a loss. He, he gives up willingly his privileges of heaven, Everything that was afforded to him, he actually comes and takes the humble position of a slave. That's the word used in the original. It's not servant, it's slave. He becomes enslaved to this thing we call life. And then in the crucifixion, what happens? He loses everything again. He loses his own reputation. He loses his own life. He dies on a cross as a criminal at the end of his life. And why does he give up and lose his life so that we could gain it? His loss was truly our gain. But we know the story. It doesn't end there. Three days after a necessary ending, there is a new beginning. It's called the resurrection. So what Jesus comes to do in a necessary ending, in a loss, he now makes available for us this new life, this abundant life, this overflowing eternal life that comes because of the resurrection. And here's the deal. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us love the new beginning of the resurrection, but we hate the crucifixion. 
for us. In other words, we, we're a lot like what Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, chapter 3, when he says this. Philippians chapter 3, 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. How many of you say, yes, sign me up for that? That's great. I absolutely want to know the power that could raise a dead person back to life. That, that sounds so exciting, doesn't it? But then he goes on. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Here's what Paul's saying. If you want to know the mighty power of the resurrection, you've got to know the pain of the crucifixion. If you want to experience new life, if you want to experience a new beginning, it's going to have to come on the heels of a necessary ending. You're going to have to feel loss at a really deep heart level. Painful. Now, I'll be honest with you. I've always seen loss in my life as a necessary evil. And I mistakenly thought that loss actually made me less. Loss made me in somehow smaller. But I no longer believe that. I've come to realize in my own journey through emotional healthy spirituality and embracing the incredible principles of bringing Jesus into every area of my life. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that loss does not shrink you. Loss enlarges you. So let me give you a definition for loss. Losses are God's gift of growth designed to enlarge your life. They don't make you smaller. They don't dwarf you. They actually expand you and enlarge you. And I think they do it in three ways. I think like Jesus, losses enlarge our soul. When, when we lose something, it does something to us, to the soul of us, the real us, that actually doesn't shrink our soul. It actually makes it like Jesus, larger. Here's what Isaiah prophesies about Jesus in Isaiah 53. He, Jesus, was despised and rejected by men. Now notice this, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. How did Jesus become a man of sorrows? He felt deep sadness. How did Jesus become acquainted with grief? He grieved a lot. That's the only way you become known as a person of sorrows and a person of grief. And most of us don't want to be known like Jesus as that. But notice what it goes on to say. Surely he has borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows. How could he do that? He can only do that because he experienced them himself. Jesus comes to earth and his soul is enlarged through the sorrow and the grief that he endures. And as a result, he not only identifies with ours, but he carries ours. 
He comes right alongside of us. He bears it up under the weight of himself so that we are not walking through it alone. So like Jesus, losses enlarge our soul. They secondly enlarge our character. They enlarge our character. Listen to what James says. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How do you become a whole self? How do you and I become solid selves? We do it by enduring the losses and the hardships and the difficulties of life because they create perseverance, which actually enlarges our character, makes us a person who is worthy of emulating here on this earth. People who know how to grieve their losses and do them with God's grace and actually do it in a way that enlarges their soul, they become people that actually can do the final thing I want to talk about. Because losses don't just enlarge our soul or our character. Losses enlarge our influence. You and I touch others and impact other lives to the degree and to the measure that we grieve our losses well. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what Paul says. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. How will we ever be effective in impacting and influencing others if we ourselves do not know how to embrace our losses and embrace our limits? How in the world can we be a person that knows the comfort of Christ and then be able to comfort others to the degree that we've received it if we never receive it? I want you to know this morning that the end of this year, as we open a brand new year, you are carrying some new limits into this year. And you have had to grieve, no doubt, some losses in this past year. And I think it's important for every single one of us here to actually bring God into the mix when we're thinking about limits and we're thinking about losses and invite him to actually do what only he can do by his spirit. And that is help us to grow because limits are a gift of God's grace designed to keep us dependent on him and losses are a gift of God's growth designed to enlarge our life. They do not make us smaller. They make us larger. 
Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.